Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. Well, good morning, Horizon, and welcome Lodi, who's watching in Oregon and Idaho and Chicago and Texas. Guys, welcome uh, to Horizon Community Church this morning. I'm excited. Give Kate a hand right here, Mr. Kate Hines. Now, I met Cade because one of our gals, Miss Stacy Santiago, said she fell in love with this Navy pilot. <laughs> and, um, and so they wanted to get married. I was uh, a joy to do the wedding. Uh, one of the top weddings I've ever done. One of the top meal experiences I've ever had. I mean, not only was the whole Navy, the white, the swords, I, I love that stuff. I mean, I could watch this stuff all day long. Now, we originally, we had the Top Gun song that you would normally Top Gun that always gets me going, but Facebook would shut us down. So we had to find something else to put over the top of that. But um, yeah, his, the wedding rehearsal was the first seven course meal I've ever had where, now follow this, the chef came out between every course, <laughs> explained what you have here is this, and this is the wine that we paired it with, with hints of this and this and this. I mean, seven courses, it was amazing. <laughs> I mean, it really was. The wedding was awesome too, wedding, <laughs> meal. I'm sure his, the wedding's here, meal's here. He doesn't even remember the day. He was like, what's going on? I thought we were here to talk about aircraft carriers. We are, we are. <laughs> but you do have some friends here, Mr. Cade. I do. Yeah, you want to introduce uh, them? I, I would love to. Um, this church is not new to me. I've been in and out of here since 2002. It's an honor to be back here, and I appreciate um, the opportunity to be here. I've been out of the Navy game for about a year and a half now. And I watch that, and I sit up here and get chills uh, watching it because it reminds me of the incredible work that's being done day in and day out, nonstop, on the seas, whether we know about it or not. Someone that is still doing that work right now, today, is with us. Like Maverick said, never flying without a wingman, right? And I had a wingman show up uh, to spend some time with us this weekend. United States Navy Captain Chad Hyriggs, he's the commanding officer of the only F-35 training squadron, and he's with us today with his amazing family. Thank you for being here. And to all you who have served uh, our great military in this great country, thank you for what you've done. Now, I, the purpose of having him, I could talk to him about, which we did in the office, all day long about, what about this, what about this, and what about this? Uh, literally for hours upon hours upon hours, and he probably says, please, you know, stop. It's kind of like, you know, when you meet a doctor, uh, what do you think of this elbow is? I mean, when you finally meet someone that, that does this, the real live deal. Um, but I wanted, I wanted to bring you here because we're talking about the church and how the church is not to be a cruise ship. But the, cruise is, the, the church is more like an aircraft carrier. Some things we said last week, that the church was Jesus' idea, not ours. It's going to long survive us. 
all our missteps, all our screw-ups and things, the church will go on with or without us. And the ecclesia, the church, is a called-out assembly or a congregation that's calling out. We really talked about you can't be built together unless you are together. And just that challenge. I mean, it's great to see a lot of people here today, and you need to be together to be built together, and how important that is, because the church is the hope of the world. And as we've emphasized through our code, that we are to be spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. Um, and that's why the whole concept of the aircraft carrier and some questions I sent Kate just said, you know, just, you know, I didn't want to catch him totally off guard. But there were just so many similarities. But I want you to hear some of his story as well as we then we talk about other things. So tell us about your background. I know you're a Texas boy. Um, tell us about it. You bet. Um, so <clears throat> I'm born and raised in southeast Texas, a city called Beaumont. That's between Houston and Louisiana, right along the uh, Gulf Coast. Uh, my father was a federal magistrate judge in the uh, Eastern District of Texas. Um, my mother was an accomplished uh, concert pianist, did over 50 years with the Symphony of Southeast Texas. She was a professor at Lamar University, and she taught three generations of students in our home kind of piano at home. She would have uh, people come over and teach piano. That's what I remember in life, coming home from school, and piano lessons were just part of normal. And you could get away with nothing being your dad was a judge. Correct. Yeah, that, that, the, uh, the rules and expectations were pretty clear. Yeah. Um, my uh, sister, I have one older sister. Uh, she is an exceptionally accomplished physician um, at University of Maryland School of Medicine uh, in Baltimore. Uh, my best friend growing up, down to earth, uh, the life of the party. Um, so that's, that's what I grew up with. Um, personally, I was involved in um, sports, music, church, Boy Scouts, uh, and some academic clubs uh, thrown around in there. Um, I've uh, always have, wanted to be in the Navy. Right. Military? So, so, no. No. Um, and, and I say that it's not that I never, it's not that I didn't want to, it, I just didn't know it. Um, a lot of folks grow up their whole lives thinking, uh, this is what I want to do, especially um, some of the aviation um, friends that I have, right? They just knew growing up in life they wanted to go uh, be in the air be in the military. Um, that, I didn't have that background uh, growing up uh, as far as exposure to the military. But I would say the way I was raised, um, where I was and the family um, that I grew up with taught me a sense of service. They taught me that now, you should look for ways to contribute your talents, your abilities, what you can for the greater good without any expectation of anything in return. Um, and they didn't in any way drive me to find that service in the military is just kind of a, a way of life. And the military called to me um, when I was about in high school. Uh, I learned about the service academies. And um, my dad took me to go visit all of the different service academies. So these are four-year institutions where upon graduating, you get a commission uh, as an officer in one of the branches of the service. Um, you went to all four? I visited all of them. Oh, wow. Um, 
And uh, what spoke to me the most was the Naval Academy. And I'd say that because um, from the Naval Academy, your options at my time, you know, I'm 16 when I'm making this decision, but the, the options seemed most uh, open. You know, the Navy owns underwater, the Navy owns the surface, the Navy owns above the water, the Navy has Navy SEALs and Special Forces, and then the Marine Corps is part of the Navy, and so a commission from the Naval Academy opened up every uh, opportunity within the Marine Corps. And that just seemed like um, that's what called to me. That and the fact that Annapolis itself in Maryland sits on the water um, where the Severn River dumps into the Chesapeake Bay. And it turns out um, being on the waters is a happy place for me. Uh, and I've learned that uh, as I've gone through life that uh, when I'm away from the water, I'm a different person. If I'm near water, uh, then, then things are going to be okay. So that, that's how I ended up, um, I would say, at Annapolis and in the military, is that, that sense of duty to serve in some capacity, whether that's community, whether that's uh, in an organization. And for me, it was service uh, for the country. And then you watched Top Gun and wanted to fly. That's yeah, that, that, that inception <laughs> was planted in my brain when I was in second grade, yeah. that's right. <laughs> no, it just dated me right then and there, man. So why fly? Was that the only option or did you just look at, man, that just... No, um, I thought if you'd have asked me my sophomore year at the Naval Academy, I'd have said, I'm going to go be a Marine Corps infantry officer. Hoorah. Uh, uh, their sense of professionalism and discipline and we've tested this process and it works, do it. Like that agreed with me. Um, I respected um, those that were serving in the Marines, the exposure that I had to the Marine Corps um, while I was at the Naval Academy and some opportunities during the summer. And so that's what I thought I would do uh, until California sucked me in. Um, I uh, visited Naval Air Station Lemoore, or Lemoore is what you'd call it if you were in the Central Valley. Um, and I, uh, this was between summer of my junior and senior years, and I was uh, placed with an operational squadron flying the F-18s, just as an exposure to understand their culture and what their workload looked like and the type of things they did and the community that they had and everything about it agreed with me. Everything. The personalities, the, the sense of nobody else is going to do the work for you because um, we don't have the people for it, so you do the work. Um, and yet they adopted the ethos of work hard, play hard, and be humble in your victories. Like that just seemed to resonate within that, that organization. It agreed with me, and I knew then and there, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, and so the Navy gave me the opportunity to, to um, get into flight school. Um, I, I received that uh, contract, if you will, out of the Naval Academy, and then that's, that's how I ended up um, in aviation. Did you always want to fly the fighter, or were you happy just to fly? Um, there was a time when uh, the practical aspect kind of started kicking in, like fighters are dangerous and you have to deploy on aircraft carriers and it's really a lot of work and it's hard on the body. And then there's this 
other more cush lifestyle within the Navy that does not have some of those demands. And for a time, I considered that. That seemed like, in my mind at the time, the easier path. Um, but I was quickly talked out of that, um, not inside of my own head. It said, no, that's not, that's not what I want to do. I want to pursue this, um, this kind of line of, uh, of, of being, you know, we'll say, on the tip of the spear. That's a, a cliche that we say a lot. But I want to be out there. Um, off of that aircraft carrier where we you know, are providing safety and security in the high seas as well as projecting our capability over anybody's um, territory that we deem worthy of our presence. And you were in school when 9-11 happened, correct? I was in flight school. Right. I, I, so done with Naval Academy. Um, I had finished the first stage of flight school. I was in the second stage. I was preparing for a brief um, with a bunch of knuckleheads that looked just like me. We didn't have a clue what we were going to be doing in the Navy. That happened. Our flight instructors that had a little bit more experience with how the world works brought us in. We watched it on a big screen TV and I had a couple of guys um, kind of take the students aside and say, this is going to define the rest of your career because they knew then and there that it wasn't some accident. They knew that this was deliberate and that the United States would respond. And they were right. I spent the next uh, 20 years um, in response to that moment. And you were out on a carrier? I mean, the first carrier was Nimitz, correct? So, so my first deployment was on Nimitz. Uh, first deployment was in 2003. And um, that was, you know, at the time, we were executing uh, Bush's shock and all plan, but my first experience to an aircraft carrier was personal shock and awe. Uh, I would say um, there, a lot of times when you finish up your flight school training, you then transition into a squadron and you've got some time to get familiar with that squadron and how it operates. Um, land-based, so you, you join the squadron literally next door or across the street at the hangar at the air base. Um, I was flown from, uh, from Lemoore to Dubai uh, on 4th of July 2003, where I met my squadron in Dubai for a night, and the next day we were back on Nimitz, and within the week uh, I was over Baghdad. Uh, so that was shock and awe for me. What were you expecting to experience when you, I mean, I'm sure you were told the stories before you got there uh, to warn you, but what did you experience that was great? What did you experience that surprised you on the carrier? Uh, everything was a surprise. Um, I guess I was, I, I was really, so I had, I had great instructors prior to when I departed, and they just said, keep your mouth shut, keep your eyes open, and keep your head down. And that was great. Like you need when you get on that flight deck, you need something that you can just put your hat on and say, "If I can just do these things, maybe I'll survive the next ten minutes." And um, and so I'd say that's what I that's what I did. Uh, I was I was blown away by everything. Everything was new, and yet for everyone that was out there, it worked. They had it figured out that they could be in this incredibly uh, 
dynamic and dangerous environment and work with relative comfort um, that, that they could function together knowing that each person was going to do their part in the process and if we all do our parts correctly, then we'll do it safely. And, and that, content, that would happen day in and day out, uh, daytime and nighttime, weekdays, weekends, holidays. You know, it just never stopped. I was going to say, it never stops. It's it doesn't. How many people in the Nimitz? Roughly 5,000. I mean, you got about 5,000 people. That, that boggles my mind of just the size, the amount of people. All, which I had said last week, that the, the mission of the carrier is to launch and retrieve aircraft. And everyone on that deck, that's what they do. That's their job, in one form or another. And you know, when I looked at one of the pictures, I think we have one on the slides there, it says, why all the different color shirts on the deck? I mean, there they all are, all the different colors, seven different colors that are, that are represented there. You may be on there, I don't know. Is that, is that the Nimitz? Oh, no. Is that the Enterprise? No, that's uh, 77. That's, that is... Chode, help me out with that. F it's not Ford. Truman is 76. Reagan is 77. Um, why all the different shirts? So, um, everything that's happening on that flight deck is monitored at, at varying levels. Um, so if you look just past that aircraft that's on the left, there's a, there's a station there uh, that has some windows there, and there's guys that are watching out at the eye level to see what's happening on the flight deck. Then if you go up to this, you know, the second from the top and then the top of that superstructure, of that tower, uh, that's where um, some decision makers are, and they're watching the evolution of launching and recovering aircraft and they need to know that the right people are in the right place and doing the right thing. And the quick way to confirm that is by the color of the jerseys because each one of those jerseys represents a different task. So uh, anybody that's wearing yellow, those are going to be uh, directors, aircraft directors, involved in the movement of an aircraft from here to there. Uh, anybody that's in green is probably on the flight deck working on catapult systems, arresting gear systems, or they may be aircraft maintainers. Anybody in uh, blue, they are operating tow tractors. So when an aircraft is not under power and we need it to move from here to there, it gets a tow. Um, purple is fuel, white is uh, safety, um, and then anything red is ordnance, crash and salvage. Wow, ordnance, crash and salvage. Well, yeah. If anything crashes on a flight deck, chances are there's ordnance. That is a concern. Wow. And they just run in with their red suits, or do they got something else? Red no, yeah, they, you know, see, there's the fire truck is there off to the right. See right. the one with the red stripe. So God bless these sailors. They will sit in that piece of equipment, hopefully never being called upon to do their job in full body heavy, what looks like aluminum, a full body aluminum suit, so that in that tragic event, they can just run into the fire and do their job. Now, operating in the middle of the Persian Gulf in the dead heat of summer, where 
the temperature itself is 135 to 140. Touching metal with your bare hands will give you a blisters, and yet those guys are sitting there in that aluminum bake suit um, day in and day out. So, um, you know, that's service. Do they sign up for that, or they pick for that, or is that both? <laughs> I, I guarantee you, they didn't. They We're didn't the sign up for ones. that. Um, it's a combination of both, and I think the Navy has come a long way during my career in that uh, these days, I think the Navy is seeing that there's benefit to allowing uh, our sailors to select what they want to do after having been exposed to some opportunities out there, some options. So rather than you know, somebody graduates high school, takes a test, signs the paperwork, goes to boot camp, hits the Navy, and they're going to be a whatever that is for the rest of their lives. And it, and it may not agree with them, right? Because they didn't know what they signed up for. And so we have a program now that allows sailors to come in in what we call undesignated. They are not designated to do a task or a job. When they hit the command, it's the command's job to train them on, hey, we need you here. This is where we need you to function for now. But we're going to expose you to all the other things that we do in an organization. And in about a year, year and a half from now, you're going to pick something that you want to do. And hopefully the Navy says, yes, we want you to do that. Uh, so so that's, that's, that has its uh, challenges. That process is not perfect. But I think that's a better process than where it was 20 years ago when we just said, you know, 17-year-old, this is what you're doing. And like it or not. And if you don't like it, then, then hit the road. And I don't know how many salutes you've made while in the cockpit to the guys on the ground, but it seems like every, t every time I see a movie or anything, the commanding officer, the higher-ranking officer, is saluting lesser rank officers. Why, why is that? Yeah. Um, see ya. I'm out of here. So, yeah, I mean, the sh that, <laughs> look, the, the, the short answer, everything that we do is... You know, it's, it's written in a book somewhere, and chances are that book is written in blood. Um, and so we come up with hand signals and gestures that we pass to each other that mean certain things. And the short answer is, when I say that I'm ready to take this jet flying, um, I will salute. And that's the final indication, especially on an aircraft carrier. That's the final indication that my systems look good. I've checked everything that needs to be checked. I'm happy with this jet. I'm ready to go flying. The catapult officer will receive that, do the, you know, the well-known image of reaching down, touching the deck. But he's not actually, he or she is not actually doing anything other than giving the signal. And then there's the sailor off to the side, the unspoken hero that just, boop, it's pushes a button and <laughs> off you go, launched off the front end. So that's the short answer is the salute indicates I'm ready to take this jet flying. But I think there's a lot more symbolism in that salute. Um, it is a tremendous amount of effort to get that aircraft and that pilot to that point in, in space, in life. The, the work that goes into preparing that jet, arming that jet, maintaining that jet, cleaning that jet, um, thinking about the long-term lifespan of that jet, the training of the maintainers, the training of the pilot, all of the timelines associated with getting that aircraft at that point. It's just a tremendous amount of work. 
And so I think there's some symbolism in, in that moment. The pilot salute means more than just I'm ready to go. It means thanks. Like everybody did their job so that we could be at this moment right now. I, 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 uh, I'm involved in my kids' sports these days, and they like to come up with funny things to say when you put your hands in, right? Everybody get your hands in, and nobody can get it straight. On three, on me, one, two, three. It just it changes every time, you know? But that's what it is. That's what the salute is. It's, hey, all hands in, look each other eye to eye, and winders on three, right? One, two, three winders. And, and then they push the button and we go. That's what the salute represents is we worked hard to get here. The job of an aircraft carrier is to launch and recover aircraft, and we just did our job. So what did being a Super Hornet F-18 pilot teach you? Great lesson learned? Um, you know, that's a... Uh, aviation can be unforgiving if, if you are not prepared, if you have not done the work, uh, if you have not put in the effort, then mistakes can have consequences. And so it taught me to prepare. Now, perhaps I didn't learn all of that from flying the F-18. You know, I'm, I spent, I don't know how many years in Boy Scouts, and that was be prepared, right? My, my dad raised me to put some thought into something before you speak, which is why I got 10 pages of notes that I'm not referencing here. Uh, Just in case. <laughs> This was my fallback if, la if last night got a little too crazy, thanks to some Navy friends that were in town. Um, but, uh, but I would say it, 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 what you see on TV, I, I would say, looks glamorous. It looks like fun. Hey, that's fun, right? And it is. It is. Um, but what I appreciate uh, about the work that's getting done uh, in the squadrons is just the amount of effort that folks are willing to put in so they can do their job well uh, in service. Um, it is not just fun and, uh, and you know, taking dad's sports car out for a, for a, for a run to the 7-Eleven. You know, it's, uh, there's effort that goes into it. I would say that's what I learned from the aircraft, but just from being in the Navy, um, what I learned there is that where we develop true bonds, where we have significant relationships, if with folks who we go through challenge and adversity with, we've got to go through that process in order to come out the backside and say, we, I can trust you and you can trust me. And that's what I, I would say that my time in the Navy uh, was one of my most valuable uh, experiences and something that I am not finding um, currently outside, and so that's that's what I learned during my time is that that's, you, you you truly have to value a relationship where you can look someone in the eye and say you can trust me. Let's give Kate a hand. Thank you. Let me pray for Cade, and then, then you're going to have to listen to me for a couple of minutes, okay? <laughs> so, Father, I want to pray for Cade. I thank you for...
I think for his life, it's been no mistake of, from day one. You saw him in the womb. You put gifts and talents in this man uh, to do what he does. And uh, we are thankful that there are men and there are women who, uh, who follow the calling, who guard this country, who protect it. Father, I, I, I am blessed by men and women who uh, put themselves in harm's way and uh, are willing to make the sacrifice, not only of time with family, but time of their life of uh, putting that in harm's way to do a job. And um, may you bless Kate, Stacy, the kids, and all that he does. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Exit stage, yeah, right? right this way. I'll hit the catapult. Um, like I said, I can talk to that man for a long time, and uh, uh, he is a man of quality and character. And uh, I just look in his eyes, I see that. Well, I want to hit off this of just there's a passage in Romans. And what's unique about this passage is pretty much the first time Paul ever uses this reference in talking about the church. It starts in Romans 12, verse 4. It says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do, all, do, do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophecy, let him. Let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. At first part, verse 4, when it talks about just as each of us have one body with many members, all of us have different, a hand is not a leg. Uh, I can't do what the leg does. I mean, I've got a stomach and I've got eyes, which are kind of connected, because uh, I see what I eat. And I guess the mouth and the hands are all connected in that process, but they're all working together. They're different, but they're the same body. And that's why this emphasis when it says we, who are many, form one body, not I, because I am not the church. You are not the church. We are the church. And as we, we form this one body, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. And this one body has a responsibility that has been given it. The church is the body of Christ. The church are its hands, are its feet. When we go out on mission, we're an extension of that. That's why I love when we go down to Mexico and build homes. They are actually the hands and feet. But they couldn't have done that unless you guys bought burritos and, and gave for that ability to have it in the first place. All the body functioning together to make that ability for those that team to build those homes. But I love the last part of, of verse 5. For just as we are one body and many members, these members not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. That's easy to read over real fast. I need you 
and you need me. You belong to me and I belong to you. We were never meant to do this by ourselves. And because you belong to me and I belong to you, I, you need to be a priority. You need, I need to make sure that I am protecting you, that you have a priority over others who are not part of this body. Not that I don't have you know, the want to reach outside of this body, but this body, and I'm going to tell you, this is not the universal church of the church worldwide. Okay, yes, there is a worldwide church, but we don't gather as a worldwide church. We gather in a local church. So this is emphasis on local church. So take a look around you. Be saying, you belong to me and I belong to you. We belong to each other. That's the power of the church. I need you. You need me to function. That's why when Paul writes in Corinthians, the hand can't say to the, to the leg, I don't need you. But that's what happens to the church. I mean, I had one bone in this foot that decided I'm not going to work anymore. And because of that one bone not choosing to work, now I have a bionic leg. You know, it's not bionic, by the way, but it just that's what the kids call it. You have a bionic leg, uh, Robo Tim. Um, but here's the deal. It's because of one bone. One bone said, nope, not going to do my job no more, which affected the entire leg. So if you have a church and you have a bunch of people saying, nope, not going to do what I was designed to do, then we become handicapped. We become disabled in the process. And that's why verse, verse six, is, 6 says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Different gifts. We all have different color shirts. All of us have a particular task. And the thing is, you can't, can't have the, the purple shirt saying, nope, not going to, is, is purple shirts fuel? Yeah? Not going to put any gas in the plane. Not that they run out of gas, but, you know, I'm not going to do it. Go figure it out yourself. Can you imagine Kate getting out, climbing out, where's the hose? And, I mean, it's not going to happen. It's crazy. Why? This massive dance that's on the top of a carrier only works when everyone is doing their job. Some people's job is just back and forth, back and forth, back. They never stop moving. I never even thought about the guys in the fire truck. Hoping that they don't ever do have to do their job. It's like an officer has a gun. He doesn't want to pull it. Don't want to do that, but they're there prepared to do it. And they're willing to go into harm's way for that. Everyone has a job to do. We're going to be talking about unity next week. And I'm going to talk, how do you keep 5,000 people on the same page? How do you keep five people on the same page, let alone 5,000? I wrote this down a long time ago. That one of the greatest privileges in all of life is when Jesus taps you on the shoulder and says, Hey, hey, Cade, hey, Tom, hey, Susan, I have a critical role for you because I'm building my church in this world. And I've been preparing you your whole life for it. 
Now, it's easy. No, that's not true. Yeah, it is. If you're here today, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. He has tapped you on the shoulder. He didn't say, here, tap. I have a great plan for you to sit in a church an hour and a half on Sunday and then do whatever you want. That's a boring calling, guys. I mean, can you imagine? Hey, Cade, we want you to fly jets. I mean, we want you to sit in a jet. You don't get to fly it. All right? You can play with the theme, turn the dials and everything, and pretend, no, 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 no. All right? But you're not going to fly it. How long would Cade stay in a, in a cockpit? Okay, if he was five, maybe, for a long time. Yeah. I have a critical role for you because I'm building my church. And how I've chosen to build my church is I'm going to tap you on the shoulder and say, I've been preparing you. I've been preparing you. I've been preparing you your whole life for this task. Guys, that, that is you. Whether you believe that or not, that's what scriptures teach. Guys, you have been called for a reason, called with a purpose in life. And it is, if you're a believer in Christ, to build his church. He has chosen us. He can choose to do it on his own, but he has chosen us to do that. How do you say no to that? How, how do you just blow that off? Saying, eh, I'm too busy. I'm building this part of my life right now. I'm building this part of my life. It's not, he's not saying, don't do any of these other things. But there's a task within the church, guys, within this church, that you can contribute. I love the fact that, hey, we're going to give you a purple shirt here, but we're going to see in a year, because this purple shirt may not work out for you. We've had people say, I, I really think I want to teach kids. And then you're horrible with kids. Now, you may have a passion for kids, but they don't have a passion for you, okay? <laughs> that doesn't mean you can't be connected to kids. Maybe you're planning events for kids. We just don't put you around them. <laughs> All right? Again, that's part of that process of, you know, I feel like I'm called to this. I've had plenty of people. God has called me to singing. God has called you to carry the microphone, all right? <laughs> He's not called you to singing, Okay? Um, and so part of that is that I need to know that there's gifts involved. If the church is the hope of the world, guys, that means you guys doing your job, that he has tapped you on the shoulder. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I have this particular role for you to do this. And what I love about verses six through eight here, we have different gifts according to the grace given. It's man, if a man's gift is prophecy, let him. Seven times. Let him, let him, let him, let him, let him, let her, let her. Let them do their job. My job as a pastor, the, the church's job as a staff is to plug you in to do your job. It is not for me to do everything. You guys have heard it, I, and you know it. Many of you know it. You know, don't go to Tim with an idea. Well, why not? Because he's going to say, when do you start? Because I didn't have the idea. I didn't, I think the church should do this. And I'll look at you, great. What do you need? What resources can we give you to make this thing happen? No, 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 this is your job. No, 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 no. I have a job. My job is to make sure you're doing your job. My job is to let you, is to give you permission, go. 
How can we resource you? What is the mission? And that's why I love just the aircraft carrier. The planes are taking off. It, they've got a mission. I mean, when Cade was in the office, we were talking about it because he flew over Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, and I'm sure a ton of other places. And he was just flying. He didn't leave the deck knowing where he was going to drop stuff. He was providing cover that when it needed to be dropped and where it needed to be dropped. Can you imagine the pressure of that? I mean, you're letting go of ordinance that you're praying that you've done your homework, you've done your due diligence, that it goes to the right place. It's a mission. And then he flies home, and they reload the plane again because it's on mission. And guys, we are all part of the mission. The guys running around in the, in, in the, in the colored uh, T-shirts, you know, they're on mission. They're not actually flying out there. That's one of the th things I love about military. My brother was a Marine Corps, and they're, you know, hoo -ah, hoo -ah, and I mean, they're just that intensity of fellowship. Every Navy SEAL I've ever talked to, especially after they've been out of the service, so what do you miss most? And they always said, the camaraderie. The guys that I can count on that have my back. Because when you're thrust in a mission that impacts the world, that unites you in a way that nothing else can. The guys, we're on a mission that is meant to change the world, one soul at a time. And every one of us plays a part in doing that. Whether it's we're one of the shirts enabling that, preparing that, or you're actually out there flying in the mission, it, that is our job. All of us have an aspect where Jesus Christ has tapped you on the shoulder and said, I need you to help build my church, and I've been planning this and building you up since time began. Read Psalm 139. I knew you when you were I put you together this way on purpose. Our job, church's job, the pastors of this church that you've hired, is not to go do it. It's to empower you to do it. I'm not going to take time. I, I, we've run over, but there's a... Verse 16. Um, well, I'm going to... Ephesians 4, 12 through 16. Let me just read it. Guys online, sorry, going a little long. All right. It says here to prepare God's people. This is about the church. Prepare God's people for works of service. That's my job, the staff's job. To prepare you for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's the point. That the body of Christ may be built up and grow. Why? Because you've gone on a mission. People are coming to know who Jesus is. Jesus taps them on the shoulder. You're a part of this crew too. Let's, get, let's go on mission together. Until we all reach unity in faith, which is going to be forever. That never stops. And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And what will be the result of that? Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of men and their deceiving scheming. A little bit of that going on today where we're just pushed. No, you got to believe this. No, you got to do this. No, you got to do this. And we got to come back. Guys, what does the word of God say? That's where we got to pour this through. That's the worldview we need to have because that will change everything. 
Instead, it says, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we will all things grow up into him who is the head and that is Christ. And Christ's job in this, verse 16, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its job, does its work. But the church is disabled today because either people don't know their part or they're choosing not to be a part. And it's when more people say, hey, I'm, I'm in this. We, we're, we belong to each other. Let's do this. And there's going to be disagreement. We'll talk about that next week. How do, you, how do you have kind of this unity in the midst of everyone trying to get together to do the same thing? So let me encourage you with this. Guys, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, because I guarantee you, you're a believer in Christ, you got one if not more. And every time the Bible lists spiritual gifts, it's always a different list. God, God paints with every color when it comes to his spiritual gifts that he extends. If you don't know what that is, you go to our website, there's a test that you can take, send the results to Kevin, and uh, we'll get you plugged in. If you don't know what your passion is, well, I know what my spiritual gift is, but I, I want to get plugged in. Then you talk to one of the staff people, we will direct you. Sign on that, 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 that not 911, what's it, 411. 411 and say, hey, I want to get plugged in. These are my passions. This is what, and we want to get you, because why? If we're not plugging people in, if we're not letting you, then we're the weaker. It's when the team is all functioning together and we know why we're doing this because the church is the hope of the world. He has sent the church in to represent him. He has sent the church to represent his voice, to represent his hands, to represent his feet. And much like what I love about it, you send out a plane that's fully loaded, it's the United States of America that's being sent out right there to represent when you're sent out, you represent the body of Christ that we're all to belong to. Next week, we'll talk about the unity that's involved. Let me pray real fast. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for Cade, those who serve, those who have served. Uh, may you bless them, Father. For the church is the hope of the world. I believe that with all my heart. And you've called each one of us to do our part. Father, may we as a church leadership let them as we grow and move together and are on mission together, we pray. In Jesus' name.